0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, welcome to Celebration Church. In Celebration Church, we're going by the teaching theme I've titled The New Normal. All right, that's the theme For the month, but today, I want to talk on something I've titled "Brilliant Fire." Brilliant Fire, and the concept of that is simply this: there is a way you go about your charismatic ministry that it becomes more, um, you know, you you just exhibit youthful exuberance instead of actually going by the word of God. So there is there's a thin line. Not necessarily thin, but there's a difference between, you know, just normal ginger, you know, in local balance and the actual obedience of the scripture. I want to go into that today because a lot of people, by their inability to understand the difference, you know, they've done a lot of stupid things thinking that they are demonstrating faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I welcome you to this um, very special discourse because there's a lot to learn. Let's go into the word of God right now. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, a text that we all know we use it for exams, even though it wasn't referring to exams, you know, and all of that. Second Timothy 2:15, it says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I mean Almost every word is a key word here. I, I could dwell on study. And what it means and what it entails, it simply means be diligent. The Greek word that trans, translated study actually means be diligent. And you see, the word of God will always require diligence. And why it requires diligence, you're going to see as I go on. You know, we should be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, walk men that need not to be ashamed. So we must find ourselves workmen in the word of God. Our devotion must typify a labor. We must be laborers in the word. You've labored maybe to lose weight or to gain weight or to get a degree or to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife. And the word of God is saying, labor to know the word of God and the will of God for your life. You know, because there is a standard, you know, that you need to measure up to. God has a standard to show yourself approved unto God, because there's a standard, a standard consciousness. I could dwell on all of this, and I've dwelt on all of this a thousand times. i probably do it a billion times more because it's important. But the phrase I want to pick here, as it pertains more directly to what I want to share on today, is where he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, this is so important. All right. To put it mildly, and to put it and to be straight to the point about this, there is a right way to interpret the Bible. Listen, the fact that you quoted a scripture does not mean that you are rightly dividing the word of truth. You can quote a scripture without rightly dividing the scripture. All right, this is so important. It, it, I am I'm, I'm a fan of memorizing scriptures but you have to understand that we don't memorize just for memorizing sake the most important thing is your understanding of the scriptures that's what matters and I can't emphasize this enough so the fact that someone quoted a text does not mean that his interpretation of that text is correct. So we now have to look objectively at the context of that verse that is being quoted to determine if the interpretation is correct. This is so important. For instance, a story that we all know, in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible tells us about the temptation of Jesus. And the devil tempted him, quoting the scriptures. How how hilarious. (laughs) But that's the word of God. The devil told him, if you are the son of God, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. You know that text we've been using for this new normal all this while. The devil quoted it once. (laughs) The devil knows the scriptures too. You know, so what differentiates you is that you understand the will of God expressed in those texts, having mastered the principles of biblical interpretation. This is so important. This is so important. So the devil quoted Psalm 91, but he was using it to tempt someone against the will of God, as against the proper function of the word of god which is to aid us in god's will isn't it funny it was used for the direct opposite and a lot of people in their so-called um interpretation of the bible have strayed away from god's will and it's the saddest thing that can happen to anyone (laughs) to be making an attempt to follow god to follow his word and to be going the other direction that's not my portion because I'm a workman in the world. By the way, the Greek word translated rightly dividing is orthomodio. It is spelled O-R-T-H-O-M-O-D-E-O. You know, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it. The most important thing is to understand what it means. And that Greek word actually means to give a straight cut. You know, just yesterday, um, my, my daughters were doing some artworks and you know it was a family affair. So it was my duty to cut the flowers because she was doing like a small garden. So I drew out the flower on a paper, and then I was using a scissors to cut it. And you, if you've done this before, you'll you realize that you need some level of accuracy, especially if it's not um, just a straight line. So you want to trace it exactly and it's very interesting that orthomodil was used to describe our interpretation of scriptures. Because there has to be an accuracy. You have to follow it line by line and precept upon precept to get the correct image that you're trying to trace out. Do you understand? And so it, it, simply, it actually more directly means to dissect. To dissect. But you are dissecting with intention. There is a predetermined image that you want to arrive at, and that's what that Greek word actually means. Uh, That's what it means figuratively, but of course, you know, just like English language, you know, that has figures of speech. This is actually a figure of speech, and it simply means to expound correctly. To expound correctly, he's just saying rightly interpreting the Bible. That's what it means by rightly divided rightly interpreting the Bible. And I cannot stress this enough. This is so important. You need to correctly expound the divine message. You have, you have a challenge in the, word, in the word of God. You are, you know, the, 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 how can I put it? The word of God deserves that diligence to rightly de, um, divide the word of truth, especially when we're talking about something as sensitive as, health and healing. Don't joke with this. Don't joke with this. You see, we have the propensity as humans to go an extreme. I mean, just look at politics for instance. I, when you see people's views, it, it's, it's always <laughs> very interesting. Uh, what example can I give you? But anyway, I don't want to go into that. But, but generally you see someone observing, you know, an extreme. And in the bid to correct that extreme, he goes the other extreme. And the, the question is, why can't, can't we just stay in the middle <laughs> and be balanced and be accurate? You know, we, we, we just tend to do too much <laughs> all the time. We just tend to be extra, all right? And this is something that we must avoid. In the word of God, remember orthomodium. So we are rightly dividing, properly tracing, accurately tracing the word of truth. When it comes to healing, you know, you see many views in the body of Christ. Many views. And it's it's amazing that we have one Bible. And everybody appears, claims to be quoting the same text. But, but few people have the discipline to really sit down and see what it says. There are two popular extremes in the Bible. You see people who excuse fear. They just excuse fear. Um, now there's a pandemic out there. And you, you see many so-called Christians, the way they go about, you know, their opinion on this matter. You, you just wonder, what have you been learning all this while? What have you been doing with your time? Do you read your Bible? Do you go to church? Many of them don't go to church. Do you have a pastor? Many of them don't. But it's funny that you see some who claim to go to church, who have a pastor, and still wind up with these weird opinions. And it's just just sense knowledge most of the time. And you see, you have to have the humility to look into the word of God, you know, a pastor says, forgive my giving this example. A pastor says, allow pastors to go and pray for people who are taken with the pandemic. And people are putting in the comments. Now, those, our international audience will have to forgive me for this one. I want to use local parlance, in house joke. Some people are commenting and they are saying, Egungu, hey, be careful. You know, <laughs> like, that. Egungu is, you know, there's a language, language in, in our country, Yoruba language, and it simply means masquerade. Masquerade, be careful. And they try to say, hey, you're going to get yourself killed. And then oh, for the pastors who supposedly hold their peace, what do people say? Pastors are waiting for, you know, the pandemic to pass to resume healing the sick, you know? <laughs> so, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, you can never satisfy people. And thank God, any sane minister knows that he, he's called to just do what God has asked him to do when it all comes down to it. But why is it, that, why is it that we always excuse ourselves from the word of God? We always excuse ourselves from the word of God. It's very sad, and, and that has to change. And you see, people who have embraced the bias... Even if you explain, you know, texts, they will come up with new ones because they are just naturally doubtful. Okay, what about this text? And you say, oh, that's not what that means. What about Job? We've done a teaching on Job. We've we've trashed that out before. They say, oh, okay, okay, okay. What about Paul's study in the flesh? We've done a teaching on Paul's study in the flesh. We've trashed that out. You know, they keep coming with new stuff because... Their mind is set on doubt. Their mind is set on doubt. And if you're not careful, even if we keep explaining all these texts to you, the devil will keep coming up with new ones for you. And of course, there will always be answers. You know, but the question is when would you get serious? You have to get serious. You cannot keep doing this to yourself, you're getting old. <laughs> it's high time you grew up. You know, so this is so important. I want to give you, you know, I just feel led to talk about one that some people talk about. You know, they say, Paul had eye problems. (laughs) You know, why did they say that? Because he told the church at Galatia that he has boldly written to them. So they say he had the eye problem, so he had to write it. You know, and, and then they now, <laughs> apart from that, they said he just had all kinds of sicknesses. We've explained Paul's turn in the flesh, you know, but it, they hang on to texts like Galatians 4, verse 13. I just want to trash this out as fast as possible. Galatians 4, 13. It says, You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first oh paul had infirmities and they think that infirmity must always mean sickness no 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 bible student thinks so no infirmity refers to any form of inadequacy i wish i could go on to show you that it may refer to sickness it may refer to something else It is the context that would justify if it was sickness or not. And if it was not um, directly specified, you have no right to assume that it was referring to, to sickness. There's a problem a lot of people have. For instance, the Bible says the Holy Ghost helps our infirmity because we know not what to pray for as we ought. So in the context, what infirmity was being referred to was it sickness? No, the infirmity was uh, or is our inability to always know what to require, to demand, to expect. And so the Holy Ghost helps our infirmity. So in that context, infirmity is not sickness, but not knowing what to pray for as you ought. You get that? In this case. Yeah, this was actually physical. I'm talking about Galatians four thirteen, but you have to understand the history. Now he's very clear. He said at the first, he's talking about the first time he came to them, and you have to understand the circumstances that surrounded Paul's visit to Galatia. And I want to read a story to you in Acts chapter th- chapter fourteen. Acts chapter fourteen, the Bible tells us that you know Paul found himself. Um, preaching in some place and, you know, the people just got carried away and they began to say, because of the miracles they saw, they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. This is Acts chapter 14, verse 11. You know, and they began to name, <laughs> they began to name him and, and Barnabas. The Bible says they called Barnabas Jupiter. <laughs> you know, some people you know, are still so silly today. They are so into planetary space and they try to be mystical about it, and 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 all of that. You you hear believers talk and they, they talk weird. I remember the first time someone asked, they said, "What's your spirit animal?" <laughs> I said, "What my spirit? What?" <laughs> You know, and, and I understand what the person was trying to say. Well, why do we always, this is how you make yourself susceptible, all right, to temptation. Do you understand? <laughs> you know, why, why are we always looking for something extra? You know, we're just looking for trouble. <laughs> so, leave that stuff, and, it's, it's, that stuff and stick to the word. All right, so, they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, they called him, you know, Mercurius. Mercurius. All right, they said because they had a reason for it because he was the chief speaker. You know, but then you know, these guys came and said, No, we are we're just men like you. And long story short, and you can read the story for yourself, they start to stone Paul and Barnabas. You know, and they stoned Paul. And in fact, a lot of theologians, including myself, believe that Paul died. Let me just read that to you from verse 19. It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, they thought he was dead because he was already lifeless. He was already lifeless. So the Bible tells us, stoned Paul. We're not told if Barnabas was stoned, all right? So, Stoned Paul, and Paul was already lifeless. They took him for dead. Verse 20. Now, verse 20 it's a, it's a miracle, what, you, what you're about to read. The Bible says, Howbeit, as the disciples stood around him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Debbie. All right? Look at verse 21. And when they had preached... The gospel to that city. Isn't it interesting? One moment you were lying lifeless, taken for dead, the next moment you stand up and you go and preach. And then he preaches in that city. Um, after he had taught many, the Bible says he returned to Lystra. Now, Lystra historically was a city in Galatia. And this was his first time in Galatia. So he went to Lystra and then to Iconium and to Ant- Ant- Antioch. If you look at the graph, there is a major road that connects all these places. And don't, don't even worry, worry about that, but the ancient maps show things like that. So this was how, this was the condition in which he went to Galatia. He had been stoned, and many theologians believe he actually died. It doesn't really matter, but at least he almost died. I mean... Uh, Let's be conservative and stick to that. He almost died. He had bruises. And so imagine in that condition still going to Galatia to preach. Now, use that to understand what he's saying in Galatians 4.13. When it says that through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel. Meaning I didn't allow this circumstance that happened to me to hinder me. All right, even if it was miraculous that he stood up, he probably still had bruises. And he still went ahead to preach. And it's so silly that something that depicted a miracle, Galatians 4.13 was a depiction of a miracle, was a testimony of a miracle. Reminding them of his miraculous entry into Galatia. He he, He should have been dead, but someone who was stoned still walked into Galatia and preached the gospel. That's one verse that proves healing more than any other verse. And people use this to excuse sickness. See, bad interpretation is dangerous. I mean, you are going to get the direct opposites from texts. Because this text is talking about the healing power of God. And now people use it, you know, to say, oh, he had an infirmity. Look into the text, bro. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Look into the text, sister. Check the context. Popular theological joke, if you remove the text from the context, I mean, from the word context, if you remove text from it, what you're left with is can. So you're a can man. <laughs> you know, don't deceive people. Look at the text objectively. And so that's one extreme. A lot of people have found always looking for excuse, excusing sickness, excusing disease. And the devil is there laughing, waiting for you to conclude that he has every permission to buffet you for no reason. But there's another extreme. There are people who have made medicine abominable. You know, you, you know what I'm saying, and it's, and it's so wrong. In fact, there are deeper, even more wrong perspectives to this. But there's just a body language amongst charismatics, you know, that some are actually outright, it's not body language. It just suggests it's wrong to take medicine. And you just wonder, well, how? how did this happen to us? How did this happen to us? Some even say it's a sin. Can you imagine that? It's a sin. And people have suffered for this wrong ideology. There are Christian sects that totally abominate the use of drugs, they abominate it. And so their children will be sick. Many of them have died. And for some common code of malaria, it's terrible. It's terrible. Listen, we believe in the healing power of God. We emphasize it every day. But to say that taking drugs is wrong, that's not biblical at all. All right? It's not. It's not. It's not. You know, and the reason why this is, hurtful and painful is that a lot of people in their bid to display the power of God, they throw compassion out of the window. Have you seen people when they see someone who is sick, instead of them allowing the compassion of Jesus to overwhelm them, whilst trusting for a miracle, at least to feel just normal human compassion for them, their own Priority is this. Uh, So, why did this happen? (laughs) And, investigator, well done. (laughs) But hey, there's a human being in your front who is going through stuff. You know, this was what happened in John chapter 9, and I don't know where time is running to, but I will just try to cover this as fast as I can. John chapter 9 from verse 1. The Bible says, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Look look at this weird question. Saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Nobody has to sin for things to go wrong on the earth. Don't you understand? The earth is fallen. The first man's sin was enough. The Bible says, By one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death by sin. That's what the Bible says. And now, everything is wrong. Something changed about Adam's body. And he transferred that frailty down and passed it to to all mankind. And that's why there is death and that's why there is sickness. So he didn't have to be that boy's parents. didn't have to do anything wrong. And for God's sake, why would you see someone who has that condition and what you're thinking of is who sinned? You know some people, listen, whilst you should be glad and grateful to God for the privileges you have in your life, it becomes terrible when you think that things are going well for you because you're faithful to God and not going as well for others because they are not. It's a terrible way to think. It's a poor understanding of the grace and the mercy of God. You're asking who sinned? Your poor theology has thrown compassion out the window. You literally need to repent. And you know, you know what I've observed? There's a difference between faith and fear. And many times religious people mask their fear with the semblance of faith. It's not faith, it's fear. Have you seen a lot of people who don't even have the nerve to be around people who have disabilities? And they mask it as if, you know, they're feeling compassion and they want their healing. Ah, why should they be like this? You know, I want them to change. But but, but the reality of the situation is, you know, you are so scared that you, you can't even recognize the person as a person and just simply be there for the person and care about the person. Trust for the person's miracle, pray for the person, believe for healing and all of that. But when it all comes down to it, be there for people. Don't make it as if, you know, they don't have the right of access to your life until there's no disability. Or unless there's no disability. It's a terrible way to think and live. You are masking your fear. You are masking your fear. Are we going to talk about the fact that Yeah, we trust for the miraculous and we will, can I tell you something? This ministry will always be known for charismatic emphasis. But hey, are you going to be thankful for people who, despite the challenges and the trials that they've been through, were able to make much of their lives? That's that's something to encourage also. That's something to be thankful for the notion that no matter what you, you go through, it doesn't have to be the end of your life. You can still be purposeful. You can still be effective in the will of God. And yes, God's perfect will is healing. I will continue to insist on that. But don't stop being a blessing to humanity just because there is something you're waiting to change. Don't do that. Don't do that, and and it's an ideology that we must we must change in the body of Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. So you must ask yourself: Am I walking in faith, or I'm being foolish? Because many times, you're just being. Just imagine Jesus jumping from. The pinnacle of the temple, because it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. That's what some of you all are doing. That's what some people do, and I will tell you how. Listen, you're not doing that when there is a sick person and you're trusting for the person's healing. I want to be clear about that. But there are some contexts in which, you know, it's it's as though you were just jumping from the pinnacle of the temple. I will give you those exact examples soon. Here is the point. As regularly as we are to expect miracles, miracles are never meant to replace the natural order of things. I'll say that again. As regularly as we are to expect miracles, miracles are never meant to replace the natural order of things. So Moses was on the mountain for 40 days fasting. He was supernaturally preserved. Jesus was on a mountain um, or in the wilderness 40 days fasting, supernaturally preserved. But that did not mean that he won't eat in his early ministry because he's the son of God. It doesn't work that way. Time and again, we see he was hungry. He was thirsty. He, we, we saw that he could eat And he ate. So no matter how spiritual you are, you're not going to come to a point where you don't need food again. Or you don't need to drink water again. It's it's not going to happen. So whilst you expect the miraculous, understand that the natural order of things will never change. Some of you all do too much, like I said already. Some of you, if it was you who walked on water, that's the last day you will spend money on transports. <laughs> if you walk on water, that's the last day you spend money on transport. <laughs> but can I tell you something? It doesn't matter that you walked on water. Oh, good! Jesus walked on water, and he walked into the boat, and they went back to shore. You have to understand that. You have to understand that. So it's not he didn't start a walk on walk on water gang. That's not what he did. All right, that's not what he did. So this is so important. And so I, I just want to share with us some things that we need to know um, as it pertains to the natural order of things, especially pertaining to healing and things like that. And these are things that we need to emphasize. You know, one of one, one healing preacher that I respect, Pastor Chris, he said this. He said, if people drank more water, we will see less people in the healing school waiting for a healing. And that's so profound. Now, you cannot accuse him of lack of trust in the miraculous. He has a healing school. (laughs) But he's just telling you there will always be a place for doing the right thing physically, doing the right thing biologically, doing the right thing to preserve your health. There will always be a place for that. And that's so important. All right. So I want to talk about food. What does the Bible say about food? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 29. This is God speaking. The Bible says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every hair bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree which is in the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So God ordained that we eat. You have to understand this. (laughs) The just shall not live, I'm talking about natural existence, not salvation now, by just trusting. That one, you'll be sustained by food. You'll be sustained by food. You have to be. And so the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, a lot of people use this in a negative, but this also tells us something important that we must bear in mind. It said, meat for the belly, and the belly for meat, God shall destroy both it and them. So, yeah, the belly will be destroyed, I mean, and all of that, and, and I wish I could go into that. It was, the emphasis was appetite and all of that. But when it all comes down to it, meat is for the belly. The belly... There is no spiritual function for your stomach, apart from food. (laughs) Do you understand? No spiritual function. All right. When the Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, that was a metaphor. All right. That's actually a metaphor. But it is your real belly. Food. (laughs) And you will still need to eat as long as you're on, on this earth. This is so important and so crucial. All right. And... You know, one story, I think I was um, in a Bible school some time ago, a long time ago, and then a man of God said this, and I found this very profound. You know, we talk about the miracle of Jesus raising the damn cell from the dead. Charismatic stuff. Talita Kumi. Young lady, I say unto you, arise. And you know, she that was dead, you know, is alive now. But when she was raised back to life, what did Jesus say? Mark chapter 5, verse 41. What did he say? The Bible says, he told them to give her something to eat. That's verse 43. Give her food to eat. Why would someone who was raised from the dead need to eat food? I've seen the power of God. I don't need all this kind of stuff again. Sister, sister, Please, eat your food. Otherwise, you know what? Guess what will happen? Just guess. you die again. <laughs> You're going to die again. So, so, eat your food. Eat your food. You know, so, I mean, right in the heat of the miracle, of the miraculous and in the heat of the miracle, as everybody was celebrating, ah, she's alive, she's alive. Say, Give her food. Give her food. Let her be eating and be greeting all of you. <laughs> Give our food immediately. This is so important. So we are not to be, as far as the natural order, order of things is concerned, we are not to be sustained by the miraculous, as far as you know, our natural body is concerned. All right? We are to expect the miraculous, but we are not to be sustained by the miraculous. And by that, I mean, you're still going to need to sleep, which what I'm going to talk about next. You're still going to need to eat. You see, you, you you have to rest. I've said it time and again. The modern day culture, in when you talk talk of mega cities in the world, um, cosmopolitan areas in the world, New York City, you know, some places in in London, maybe Lagos. <laughs> Let me say that again. Lagos. (laughs) For God's sake, the culture is ungodly. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. A lot of people have forgotten the principle of rest. Some even brag about it. I walk 20 hours daily. That's not a virtue of God. That's that's a sickness. We need to pray for you. You don't, you don't sleep. I walk 20 hours daily. We don't envy you. We don't envy you. It's not right. What time do you spend for your family? What time do you rest? At what time do you rest? Stop it. Stop it. Get some rest. Some of you have overworked yourself. You've overworked yourself, you don't even know how to relax anymore. You don't, you don't know how to just lie down and sleep. It's bad. Some of you, the Lord is watching you. This lockdown period, you've not been sleeping. 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you, you know, you have changed your sleeping pattern. This is word from knowledge. You know, <laughs> that has, you have to be intentional about these things. All right, You have to be intentional about these things. Because, hey, it doesn't matter the anointing and the grace on your life. If you don't give enough time to rest, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. You know, something, <laughs> something happened years ago. I was overworking myself. I'd walked all day, laid on the bed, I still opened my Bible as tired as I was, and I was reading. My wife brought food for me, put it on the bed, which was bad enough. Why are you eating on the bed? But put it on the bed, and I said, thank you. And I looked away from the food, and I was just walking. And then the Lord said to me, he said, I hope you know that if you die, I'm going to raise another person, and the work will continue. As soon as he said it, I just closed the Bible, took my food, and I started eating. (laughs) And let's just say, I tried to rest from that time. My close friend haters Who say that's not true, but I'm definitely better. <laughs> I'm actually definitely better, way, way better. That's for sure. You know, the Bible tells us about a man of God called Ep- Epaphroditus. And we need to watch out for people like this, you know, in the body of Christ. Sometimes a lot of people just neglect work. You know, in the body of Christ... In many local churches, 10% of the people do 90% of the work, and it's not meant to be so. You know, it's so, I mean, it's like that when it comes to normal workforce, when it comes to just administrative help. There are few committed people who will come help out to carry stuff and all of that. And so we find some people overburdened. Sometimes. I want to believe this is not our church, but in some churches, only 10% of the people will do all the giving. It's not right. And so we all have to have a sense of accountability to ask ourselves if I was the only one, or if everybody in the church was like me, will the work go on? You have to have that sense of accountability. And sense of responsibility to say, I'm going to help. Whatever I can carry, I'm going to carry to set up the service. I'm going to give. Even if I'm in my house, and, you know, some of you, (laughs) some of you, even if you don't have a giving culture, when there was a physical gathering, because you don't want to fall your hand, you know, fall your hand, I mean, you don't want to embarrass yourself. Everybody's raising up an envelope, and so you'll be forced to raise up an envelope. But now, it would take someone who has developed his generosity to give when it's time to give. Because nobody's in your house to pursue you. And so you're only going to give because you love the Lord and because you've grown in that aspect of Christian devotion. And now this is a deviation. That's, that's not even what I'm talking about. But when it all comes down to things like that, generosity or just assistance generally, many times you find out that some people are doing all the work. Ephaphroditus was that kind of person, you know, and from Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, you could tell he was saying, oh, I, th- I thank God that your care for me has been restored again. I don't speak from, from a place of want because the Lord shall supply all my needs, but you know that he wasn't particularly excited, you know, that the church at Philippi could not really be consistent in their effort. And now he begins to talk about a guy named Ephaphroditus, you know, from verse... 25 he said yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus my brother and my companion in labor fellow soldier but your messenger and he had ministered to my one so this was someone who was really helpful to Paul and his ministry so he says Epaphroditus fellow soldier my brother co-laborer and all of that he uses all those um, nice words he says he ministered to my wants. He was there for me. The, the, the Bible says in verse um, twenty-six, he says, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, heaviness, because that he because ye he had heard that he had been sick. So Ephaphroditus fell sick. And it's not it's not it's not difficult to see why. Verse 27. Paul says, not only was he sick, he was nigh unto death. He says, for indeed, he was sick and nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You know, there are some people, definitely, if any loved one goes to be with the Lord, you're going to be sorrowful. But there are some people, if they go, it's sorrow upon sorrow. You have to understand the adjectives are different. You know, especially for the work's sake. So this guy had been his companion in labor. And he said, not only did God have mercy on him in healing him, he had mercy on Paul also. That God, help us. <laughs> help us. Help us. Look at verse 30. It said, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. You see that? For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Not regarding his life to supply what was lacking of your service towards me. You know, there are just some people who say, oh, well, we should be more handling this. But people are not there and the work must be done, so I'm going to do it. If Aphrodite was such a person. And he broke down. There's a popular legend in the body of Christ who died of exhaustion. He was a missionary in Africa. And he just couldn't... I mean, there was so much demand on his ministry. He died of exhaustion. So, So this is a real deal. All right. This is a real deal. And... A lot, of, a lot of people today think that you're not functioning in faith when you talk about things like this. But Paul could t- think about that. Paul could talk about Ephaphroditus who was sick. He didn't think it was a contradiction to his healing ministry. No, he, no, he's sick. God had mercy on him. He's better now. Thank God. He talked about it. In fact, more outrightly, he talked about another guy called Erastus. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 20. He said, Erastus abode at Corinth. Not Erastus, I beg your pardon. Trophimus, I beg your pardon. He says, but Trophimus, have I left at Militum sick? So I I had to leave him behind because he's sick. This is Paul. The great miracle walker. But some, well, he left him, he he was sick. Because sometimes, some people just need a break. Do you understand that? They just need a break. They just need to rest. They just need to rest. And can I tell you something? Thank God for the miraculous, but when you need to rest, you need to rest. It's that simple. Jesus rested. Jesus slept so hard, a boat was sinking, and he did not wake up. I mean so how do what does it mean for a boat to be sinking it means water was entering into the boat so very likely the water was touching him and he, he was so tired he did not wake up when you read about the schedule of Jesus you will understand why he was workaholic there was so much demand on his ministry and so he slept and rightly so. He slept and the father was pleased. You have to understand this. There's a type of sleep that God will endorse. My son, try. Sleep. Nobody will disturb you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a time you need to act on the word that says he gives his beloved sleep. You act on it. It's my right. I've tried. <laughs> so that's so important. All right. I want to talk briefly on Exercise. You know, a lot of people say, oh, bodily exercise profited little. He said little in comparison to eternal verities. You have to understand this is this is a different. He says bodily exercise profits little, 1 Timothy 4.8. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So, in context, he's comparing it to godliness. And of course, in, when you compare it to godliness, it's little. But when it comes to natural human benefits, it's not little at all. It could be the difference between life and death. You have to understand this. It's not little. Godliness is profitable unto all things and praise God for that but it will make a difference in your life if you exercise. So, the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 14, is there any sick among you? What do you mean? Why are you doing? What do you, why are you sick? Is that what he says? Oh, you don't know better. You should know better. Why are you sick? Is like, no. When someone is sick, our priority should be care and ministry, that should be our, our priority. You're no time to be rationalizing and say, no, why, what, what happened? Mm-mm. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders. Let them pray. It says the prayer of faith will save the sick. Simple. 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 I'm saying this so that you can renew your mind. So when you see someone sick, it's a different type of law to be saying, Ah, so what, what went wrong? You're not even thinking about what the person is going through. That's what you're thinking about. Think about Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Crying at the burial of someone he knew he would raise up. Why did he cry? Because you see, the fact that you function in the miraculous. Should not stop your ability to show empathy and compassion. You have to understand this. When he was crying, he knew he would raise Lazarus up. But he could still cry. You see, you know, when you, when you want to preach at a burial, don't just go and say, Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Don't you know that we will see him again? We know. <laughs> but in the meantime, We're still going to miss the person, so it's okay to cry. But you don't sorrow upon sorrow like them that have no hope. There's a difference. But at the same time, all right, it's okay to show some level of empathy. This is so crucial. The title of this sermon, once again, is Brilliant Fire. I want you to go about your spiritual devotion in a way that is biblically accurate and intellectually sound. Praise the Lord. So now someone will say, God or doctor? As I begin to bring this week close, God or doctor? Oh, should I use medicine or I should trust God? Some people, when they use medicine, they, they, they won't feel guilty, like they've done something wrong. Ah, I didn't really trust God enough. What do you mean? You know, it reminds me of a story about atheists, you know. This is just a story like a parable, um, atheist scientists went to God and they said, God, you know what? We don't, we don't need you anymore. We've discovered how to create human beings. We've discovered how to create our own planet. We've discovered how to do everything that you did on, on our own. And God said, Oh, you really? Go ahead, let me see. And so they bent down to pick some soil, some earth from the ground. And God said, No, use your own soil. <laughs> You get the idea. How can you say you don't need God and you still use something that is His? Do you understand? And this is the idea. How can you think that using medicine is a contradiction of faith if medicine is a gift from God? I mean, every single drug comes from a creation of God, maybe a plant. Can I tell you something? There has never been a recovery in the history of humanity that God was not involved in. Because the, the antibodies and the natural defense system in our body that fights against disease, He put it in there. The crops that, so, that have medicinal value, He gave that to us. It's Him all the way. It's Him all the way. You see? <laughs> That's something you have to understand. So it's never God or doctor. How then do I know I should use medicine? First of all, you should never come to a point where your soul trust is on medicine. You should never come to a point. I I trust God at all times. I trust God at all times. And sometimes you know in your spirit that you don't need medicine. You just know. You know in your heart of hearts that you don't need it. It's a different ball game. But hey, God's will is for you to be sound in your health. And for you to be sick and to ignore medical help, it makes no sense. It makes no bi- biblical theological sense. It's a very wrong thing to do. You have to understand that. You know, look at Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 12. I still have a lot to share with you, but I think I will just bring this to a close very soon because of time. Ezekiel 47, 12. The Bible says, And by the rivers upon the bank thereof, on the side and on that side, shall grow all the trees for meat, whose leaves shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth a new fruit according to his moments, because their water that they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof of medicine. So the Bible intimates leaves being used for medicine. And that is a provision of God. That is a provision of God. And you know, the interesting thing is many times we see that healing was a combination between the miraculous power of God and means. Natural medicinal means. So, um, I'll give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 38, the Bible says, the prophet was told to tell Hezekiah, hey, put your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah fixed the wall, made some declarations, only the living shall praise you and such as I do this day and all of that. And God in his mercy tells the prophet, go back and tell Hezekiah have added years to his life. And he didn't just stop there. In verse 21, this is the specific instruction that I was given. The Bible says, For Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs. Oh, this is interesting. Let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. A lump of so now it was a supernatural recovery. But there was something that he was to do to act on the word of God, and it happened to be medicinal. Take a lump of figs, place it for a plaster. Isn't that interesting? You see the same thing in Second Kings chapter two, from verse nineteen to twenty. You know there was water that needed to be drunk. You know, but the people told Elijah, "Oh, we can't drink it uh, because." Um, the water clearly had issues. And he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. So he used salt. Salt has medicinal value. But in the workings of that miracle, salt was used. All right, so many times it's going to be a combination of both. I remember there was someone I was praying for in school. He was sick. I I, I just entered into a room, I think, to do something or work. I can't remember what happened. I think I was coming from class. And he said, I'm sick, down, and I'm terrible you know, in my health. I want you to pray for me. And I prayed for him. As I was stepping out, the Lord said, give him the water in your hand to drink. And I know water is good you know, for people who are sick, especially maybe cases like malaria and all of that. But I never read any stuff like that. The Lord told me. Give him to drink. And, and so I gave him to drink. And he drank it. Five minutes, he was jumping all over the place. This was someone who had been sick for a long time. Jumping all over, over, all over the place, perfectly fine. Didn't need any other medication anymore. You know, so this is just something for us to pay attention to. I said all of that to say this. And this is the final thing I'm going to say before we pray and round off. Now there's a pandemic out there. And we are taking the Sundays, I mean, all, all the service days, actually, to emphasize, you know, what we've called the new normal, our supernatural advantage in the Lord. However, I want to urge everyone who follows this ministry, be smart. Take all necessary precautions. And in doing so, know that you are not... You are not poor in faith <laughs> you're not lacking faith you are you're using your sense can i tell you something i told you on sunday about the destiny of the earth you have to understand never find yourself at the negative side of prophecy because when god says that this, the angel of death is going to pass over Egypt. The only thing that is going to keep you safe in that context is not, oh, I know who I am. You know, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That that has its place. But now there is a prophetic instruction. Stay in your houses and put the blood on your lintel. So there is both natural precaution and supernatural advantage playing their part at the same time and in the same context. You have to understand this. Stay in your house. You're going to find yourself at the negative aspect of prophecy if you don't. If you, if you are not discerned, so you have to do the word of God. Do what you need to do. Do what God says to do. Do what you know. Um, be responsible. Be responsible because. No, no matter how much of a child of God you, you are, you know, there are still uh, natural tendencies in the world. I've read this to you before. I want to read Second Corinthians chapter 11. You know, Paul was talking about his experiences from, from verse 23, you know, where he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I more. In labors more abundant, meaning I've labored. He said, in stripes above measures, meaning I was, I've been whipped many times for this gospel. In prison more frequent. So I've been, he said, I've been in prison many times. Don't forget, this is the same Paul who was with Silas and he prayed, and the prison doors, you know, there was an earthquake, and then he came out of the prison miraculously. This is the same Paul. But there were other times that he was in prison and nothing happened. And this is not to say that you should ever be in prison and not expect a miracle. I'm just saying. All right. In the world, stuff happens. That's, that's, what, that's all I'm trying to say. Expect the miracles all the time, but know that there is a normal tendency in the world. And so as much as possible, take necessary precautions. That's all I'm saying. I'll give you more examples. He, he went on to say, oh, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stroke, one, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, we talked about that, Galatians 4, 13. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Look at this one. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Shipwreck? The great apostle Paul. What happened to journey messes? Thank God for journey messes. And thank God science has also given us better vessels that we can travel in. The same Paul, don't forget, in one of the occasions when there was going to be a shipwreck, he saw an angel telling him, don't worry, no life will be lost. But the angel told him there will be a shipwreck. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. You can't, sometimes you can't determine how the miracle will happen. You would think, oh, an angel is here, oh, this ship is not going to be destroyed after all. But he said, the ship will be destroyed, but no life will be lost. (laughs) Think about that. The next time, you know, you are driving and you, f- you feel tempted not to use your seat belt because you are anointed, remember this. Remember this. Check, do you have a spare tire? Get your tire. You know, I saw one of the most <laughs> horrible sights I ever saw. You know, I, I drove into an eatery to get some snack and I saw a, a Christian, he carried anointing oil and he was pouring it on his tire. And in my mind, I'm like... Go to the vulcanizer. Why are you embarrassing us? What's wrong with you? What are you doing? You know, get everything in place and then trust God. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it ought to be. He said, in of robbers. So you are a believer, but you see, Paul found himself exposed to the danger of robbers time and again, because he had to travel with resources, sometimes with money from place to place. You don't have to do that. So be smart. Don't keep cash at home. Be smart. Lock your doors. Be cautious about the security in the area. These are things that don't affect your faith. And at a season like this, where the world is ravaged you know, by pandemic we speak prophetically, we know that we are kept of the Lord, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. See, don't take what I'm saying and forget this other part. Remember, we talked about balance. We walk in the miraculous and we are responsible. I walk in the miraculous and I'm responsible. That's what God will have us do. Is that clear now? So have you been blessed by this? Thank you for listening.